Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This Christmas, feel joy, gift joy, and send them joy with the perfect gift at Arnott's. Explore an endless array of gifting that will bring joy to everyone on your list. Shop Irish at the Christmas market. Support emerging new businesses with Pitch 22. Or find something extra special from one of our world-class brands. Shop in-store and online at arnott's.ie. Life's full of things we can't depend on. Like the Irish weather. Predictably unpredictable. When you're cutting it fine, but the tractor in front is out for the day. No winner of this week's you-know-what. So much for Lucky 7. But some things you can depend on. Like in home heating. Emo, Jones Oil and Campus Oil are now Serta, Delivering the same warmth to your home now and into the future. For home heating you can depend on, see CertaIreland.ie. Chris Benoit was a successful wrestler with World Wrestling Entertainment when his life began falling apart. When it became too much to handle, Chris decided to end it all and take his entire family with him. This is Monsters. This is the first episode of our fourth season, which will be about family annihilators. I guess I should stick with the normal theme and call it familicide, which is a form of murder where the monster kills multiple close family members around the same time. In many cases of familicide, the monster ends up committing suicide after killing their family. The term family annihilator is already so well known in true crime, it seemed like a better option. There are four categories that family annihilators fit into. The self-righteous family annihilator is looking to blame the other parent for the breakdown in the family. They might call the other parent beforehand to inform them as to what they're about to do as a form of punishment. The disappointed family annihilator believes that their family has let them down or is trying to undermine their vision of an ideal family. The anomic family annihilator sees their family as a symbol of their economic success. If they become an economic failure, they see their family as no longer serving this function, and they become unnecessary. The paranoid family annihilator sees an external threat to the family, usually child protective services or the legal system. They're afraid their children will be taken away from them, and they see the murder as a way of protecting their family. Family annihilators are most commonly male and carried out by a parent. There are cases of female family annihilators as well as cases of children killing their parents and siblings. Chris Benoit was born on May 21, 1967 in Montreal, Quebec, Canada to Michael and Margaret Benoit. He had one sister, Lori Benoit. From a young age, Chris wanted to become a pro wrestler. When he was only 12 years old, he attended a local wrestling match where he saw Dynamite Kid Tom Billington and Bret Hart perform and became obsessed. He started preparing himself by working out and lifting weights. In high school, he won numerous awards in wrestling and bodybuilding. He eventually started training at the legendary Hart Dungeon. This was a wrestling school created by Canadian pro wrestler and promoter Stu Hart. 
The school was located in the basement of the Hart family mansion, which was a former Army hospital building located in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. The dungeon trained many well-known pro wrestlers like Chris Jericho, Junkyard Dog, and Rowdy Roddy Piper. Chris got into the ring professionally for the first time in November of 1985 at a stampede wrestling event promoted by Stu Hart. Held in Calgary, Alberta, it was one of the largest wrestling events in Canada. Chris immediately showed his influence by the Dynamite Kid and Bret Hart by using their moves. They were moves that included a lot of physicality, speed, and strength like the diving headbutt and the snap suplex. Unfortunately, Chris hadn't perfected all the moves and knocked the wind out of himself after landing the flying headbutt incorrectly. At this same event, Chris performed in a tag team event with fellow Canadian wrestler the remarkable Rick Patterson, and the duo won the match. Over his four years wrestling at Stampede, Chris won four international tag team titles and four British Commonwealth titles. When Stampede shut down in 1989, Chris traveled to Japan to perform with New Japan Pro Wrestling based in Tokyo. After a year of training at the New Japan Dojo, Chris began performing while wearing a mask and assuming the name The Pegasus Kid. Chris returned to North America to perform for World Championship Wrestling. This was a United States company founded by media mogul Ted Turner. Chris teamed up with Biff Wellington for the National Wrestling Alliance World Tag Team Championship in 1992. Though they didn't win, Chris would end up signing to the WCW a few years later. Over the next two years, he performed with Extreme Championship Wrestling while also doing tours with New Japan Pro Wrestling. In 1994, at the November to Remember event, Chris ended up breaking wrestler Sabu's neck. Chris threw Sabu, who was supposed to take a flapjack bump, but Sabu attempted to turn in midair. He wasn't able to complete the turn and landed on his head, breaking his neck. Chris was shaken up about the possibility that he might have paralyzed someone. Did you see him land on his head? I think he, I think he broke his neck. Pulling dangerously and 911 attending to Sabu. He's not getting up. Referee John Finnegan there as well. Oh my God. I think he broke his neck. You got you guys in the. Does anyone know? Sabu is down and he's hurt. Ironically, at this time, Chris was going by the moniker, the crippler Chris Benoit. That was an absolute coincidence, and the injury was a complete accident. Sabu talks about the incident in an interview years later. And where you got your neck broken. Could you uh, discuss that? Um, that was an accident, and uh, I never said like held him responsible. But I didn't like him. I didn't like him before that, but I didn't really like him that much after that. But not like we, what I thought. He, I, I can't say I knew what he was going to do with his family, but and I dislike him for that. That's for sure. Yeah. What was the reason you disliked him before that? Uh, I, I was with him in Japan, and we were never never friendly together. He wasn't friendly, you know. I see. 
If you didn't wrestle him, he didn't even say hello to you. you know? Oh, really? Yeah. And what was he like in the ring? I think, well, obviously. Oh, he's all business. You know, yeah. He took it too serious. And I heard you say that uh, he actually went to the hospital that night to check on you again. Yeah, he did. Like a sissy. <laughs> <laughs> Sabu survived the injury and went right back to wrestling. Sabu says that Chris was all business, which seemed to be true. Chris was very dedicated to his craft, and all he wanted was to put on the best performance he could. In 1995, after Chris signed with the WCW, he was approached by Ric Flair to become a member of the Four Horsemen. This group regularly feuded with popular wrestlers Hulk Hogan and Macho Man Randy Savage. By this time, Chris was being billed simply as Chris Benoit, though sometimes he was referred to as the Wolverine due to him being small, fast, and pretty vicious. Hopefully everyone who hears this is already aware of this, but the feuds and drama that happen in pro wrestling are all scripted. The people involved in pro wrestling are considered performers, and I'm not trying to take anything away from the athleticism of the sport. Pro wrestlers have an incredibly physically demanding job, and the things they do in the ring take a lot of skill. But the drama that happens on the sidelines is planned out to add tension to the events. One of the feuds that happened in the WCW was with WCW wrestler and booker Kevin Sullivan and Chris's teammate on the Four Horsemen, Brian Pillman. When Brian left suddenly to join the WWF, now the WWE, Chris was called upon to continue the feud with Kevin. What the company had scripted was a situation where it looked like Chris was having an affair with Kevin's wife, Nancy. Nancy was a wrestling valet, and she also occasionally wrestled for the WCW under the name Woman. Chris had married a woman named Martina early in his career. The couple had two children together, a son named David and a daughter named Megan. Unfortunately for her, Chris and Nancy's scripted affair turned into a real affair. Kevin had encouraged the pair to travel together and hold hands in public to add validity to the affair, but it only succeeded at bringing the couple closer together. This only added real fuel to the fire. Sullivan, take a good look. I'm still here. You didn't get rid of your problem, Sullivan. You made it worse. One man. One man. Not only was your best not enough, but the whole Dungeon of Doom wasn't enough to get rid of one man. Sullivan, look into my eyes, into my soul. What do you see? Your former self? You see the hunger, the desire, the need? There's two ways out of this, Sullivan. The man's way and the coward's way. Oh, I'm well aware of your corporate ties in WCW. I'm well aware of the fact that you know exactly what strings to pull to have me shipped out of here. But you want to go out being remembered as a coward? To be honest with you, Sullivan, after this last Saturday night in Baltimore, I couldn't answer that. Tell him, woman. Woman, you Kevin, know, I, I've got to say, you're looking at this man a little differently. Kevin, I told you that if you kicked him one more time, that that was it. It was over. You said that it's been over a long time. Well, I'm making the decision. It's over. All right, I thank you very much, woman. Chris Benoit. My goodness, ladies and gentlemen. 
In November of 1996, Chris called out Kevin and Nancy told Kevin that she was leaving him during the on-screen feud, but she really did divorce him the following year. This prompted Martina to divorce Chris and take the kids back to Canada. The matches between Chris and Kevin got increasingly violent. This matchup never officially started. There was never a bell. You're right about that. Can you imagine the guy in stall three reading the paper? Come out and see this. In July of 1997, the WCW planned a retirement match for Kevin at the Bash at the Beach in Daytona Beach, Florida. Kevin defeated Chris, and the company used this as the reason Kevin was retiring from the ring and focusing on his duties as a booker. Once Nancy's divorce from Kevin was final, she got engaged to Chris, but they didn't marry right away. Nancy was born Nancy Toffoloni on May 17, 1964, in Boston, Massachusetts. She dropped out of DeLand High School in DeLand, Florida, so she could marry her first husband, Jim Douse. Jim and Nancy were high school sweethearts, and Nancy started her young adult life answering phones for a State Farm insurance office. Her and Jim began meeting wrestlers who had been competing in the Orlando area. She became the cover model for the June 1984 edition of the magazine Wrestling All-Stars before moving on to become Kevin Sullivan's manager and valet, taking on the name The Fallen Angel. She would eventually start wrestling under the moniker Woman. After Nancy's divorce from Jim, she married Kevin in 1985. She spent the next decade wrestling, managing, and working with various wrestlers and promoters. On February 25, 2000, Nancy gave birth to her and Chris's son, Daniel. It was Nancy's first child and Chris's third. Chris and Nancy got married on November 23, 2000. Daniel was born with a genetic disability, but what that disability was has been widely disputed. The media reported that he had a condition called Fragile X. Fragile X syndrome is a genetic disorder where a protein called the Fragile X mental retardation protein, that's the CDC's terminology, I'm not calling anyone the R word, is not being produced. That gene is necessary for normal brain development. Signs that a child may have Fragile X syndrome are Developmental delays, such as not sitting up, walking, or talking at the normal age of those milestones, learning disabilities, and social behavior problems. Family members told media outlets that Daniel did not have Fragile X syndrome, but it's unclear what disability Daniel did have. The Benoit family was fairly secretive about their son's condition. The symptoms of Fragile X syndrome are similar to autism, so others have speculated that that might be his condition, but it's still not entirely clear. It's said that their son's condition was a point of contention in the relationship. The couple fought over how to care for Daniel, and reports say that Nancy wanted Chris to spend more time with his son. We'll be right back. In 2003, Nancy filed for divorce and filed a petition for protection from domestic abuse against Chris. In the application, Nancy wrote that Chris, quote, lost his temper and threatened to strike the petitioner and cause extensive damage to the home and personal belongings of the parties, including furniture, end quote. She said she was, quote, in reasonable fear for petitioner's own safety and that of the minor child, end quote. Three months later, she filed to have the divorce and the restraining order dismissed. It's unknown why Nancy dropped the divorce and the restraining order, but it's not an uncommon occurrence. People in abusive relationships may file a restraining order, but then reconsider after a period of cooling off. 
It's especially common if a child is involved and the petitioner wants to keep the family together for the sake of the child. There's absolutely no fault to the partner reconsidering a divorce or restraining order if a crime occurs after that. In 2000, Chris started wrestling for the WWF, later becoming the WWE, and performed in matches against staple wrestlers like Triple H, Stone Cold Steve Austin, and The Rock. In 2002, he became a member of the WWF SmackDown roster where he worked heavily with wrestler Eddie Guerrero. They performed against each other at the 2003 WWE United States Championship where Chris lost to Eddie. Even though they feuded over the title for the following month, in reality, Eddie was one of Chris's best friends. In 2004, Chris won the Royal Rumble event by last eliminating Big Show, which earned him a shot at a championship title at WrestleMania 20. assumed that he would compete for the SmackDown brand's title, the WWE Championship, except that when Stone Cold Steve Austin announced that Chris would face quote-unquote the champion at WrestleMania 20, he didn't specify which champion and Chris used that loophole to switch to the Raw roster and announced he would be competing for the World Heavyweight Championship. The WWE had a second, smaller Royal Rumble event featuring the top 15 wrestlers from the first Royal Rumble, with Eddie Guerrero replacing Chris. Eddie ended up winning the event, earning himself a shot at the SmackDown WWE Championship. On February 9th, while Chris and Triple H were signing their contract for the WrestleMania match, Shawn Michaels came in and kicked Chris in the chin, grabbed the pen, and signed the contract himself. And I can talk for anyone and everyone sitting in that locker room. Hell, I can talk for everyone sitting in this building. In saying that, I will be the last to deny you your right to finish your issue with Triple H. It's just not going to happen at WrestleMania 20. You see, I'm going to sign this dotted line right beside Triple H's. And at WrestleMania 20, it is going to be Chris Benoit versus Triple H for the world title. It's going to be me, not you. Oh! Oh my God! My God, did you see that? Michael just kicked him under until another lifetime. 
Sean had previously competed in a world heavyweight match against Triple H, and though he pinned Triple H, the match was called a draw because both men's shoulders were down on the mat during the pinfall. Sean and Triple H had a rematch at the 2004 Royal Rumble that again ended in a draw, so Sean felt like he deserved the chance to compete for the title again at WrestleMania 20. After Sean defeated Chris in a singles match the following week, Stone Cold Steve Austin announced that Triple H would defend his championship title at a triple threat match against Chris Benoit and Shawn Michaels. WrestleMania 20 took place on March 14th at Madison Square Garden in New York City. The event was attended by 20,000 people live and watched by another 1 million through pay-per-view. At the event, John Cena defeated Big Show to win the WWE United States Championship, Eddie Guerrero defeated Kurt Angle for the WWE Championship, and Victoria defeated Molly Holly for the WWE Women's Championship in a hair versus title match where the loser also had to shave their head. What a humiliating, embarrassing moment for the former women's champion, having her head shaved at WrestleMania 20. During the main event, Chris and Sean took turns pushing each other out of the way and attacking Triple H before only focusing on each other, with Triple H waiting on the men to wear each other out. Eventually, the three performers started equally competing against each other. At one point, all three performers were out of the ring and Sean and Triple H threw Chris through a broadcast table. While Sean and Triple H were back in the ring, Chris jumped in and broke up a pinfall of Sean by Triple H. Chris then threw Sean out of the ring, and Triple H tried to execute a pedigree on Chris, but he countered and got Triple H in a crippler crossface, Chris's signature submission move. This caused Triple H to tap out, making Chris Benoit the new WWE Heavyweight World Champion. It marked the first time that a WrestleMania main event had ever ended in a submission. Chris and his friend Eddie can be seen after the event celebrating Chris's win. On April 18, 2004, Chris defended his championship title against Shawn Michaels and Triple H in the Backlash pay-per-view event. Chris won the match and remained the World Heavyweight Champion. Soon after, Chris and Edge defeated the team Evolution, who is made up of Ric Flair and Dave Bautista, winning the World Tag Team Championship title. This made Chris a double champion title holder. Chris would continue to defend the title from Sean, Triple H, and Kane over the next few months. On August 15, 2004, Chris competed against Randy Orton at the 2004 SummerSlam and lost the title. On November 13, 2005, Eddie Guerrero was found unconscious in his hotel room in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Eddie's nephew, Chavo, found him passed out in the bathroom of his hotel room with his toothbrush still in his hand. Eddie was pronounced dead by the paramedics on the scene. He was 38 years old. 
It was discovered that Eddie had died of a heart attack caused by atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease. This is when plaque builds up in the artery walls causing less space for blood to flow through the artery. It's common for professional wrestlers to die young from heart problems due to frequent steroid use and the rigors of the profession. Researchers have found that 24% of steroid users had atherosclerosis. The following night, the WWE hosted a tribute to Eddie where many of the performers for both Raw and SmackDown spoke about the wrestler. During a testimonial with Chris, he broke down on camera. Now I know that I love you. I miss you. <laughs> Eddie, you made... <laughs> you made such a great impression on my life. And I want to thank you for everything you've ever given me. I want to thank you from my heart and tell you that I love you and I'll never forget you. And I will see each other again. I love you, Eddie. <laughs> Some people believe that this was the beginning of the end of Chris's mental stability. Not only had he performed in WrestleMania 21 with no wins, lost his championship title and his best friend, but he had to go right back to work in an industry that was hard on the body and the mind. It was during this time that it seemed that the WWE was scripting Chris to be on his way out while new performers were coming in. He had one match during WrestleMania 22, which he lost to John Bradshaw Layfield. He had a rematch two weeks later, which he also lost. Chris was scripted into a feud with Eddie's wife, Vicky Guerrero, and nephew, Chavo. Though those interactions were not real, I imagine it wasn't easy to pretend to fight with his late best friend's family. On June 11, 2007, Chris was drafted from SmackDown to ECW, which had been acquired by the WWE. Many people saw this as a demotion. On June 19th, Chris wrestled against Elijah Burke in a match that would determine who would compete against CM Punk for the ECW World Championship. Chris won that match, which meant he was scheduled to perform in the Vengeance pay-per-view event on June 24, 2007. Chris had missed a couple of house shows prior to the pay-per-view event, telling WWE officials that his family was vomiting blood due to food poisoning. When he didn't show up at the Vengeance event, the promoters announced that he wasn't able to perform due to a family emergency and Johnny Nitro wrestled in his place. When Chris didn't show up to the event, other people were concerned after receiving strange text messages from him earlier that day. On June 24th, Chris sent two text messages to two co-workers from his phone. The text messages read, 3.53 a.m., quote, My physical address is 130... Lane, Fayetteville, Georgia, 30215, end quote. 3.53 a.m., quote, The dogs are in the enclosed pool area. Garage side door is open, end quote. At 3.54 a.m., he sent the text with his physical address to two co-workers from Nancy's phone. At 3.55 a.m., he sent the same text to two other co-workers from Nancy's phone, and then at 3.58 a.m., he sent the same text to one more co-worker from Nancy's phone. 
At about 5.30 in the morning, he texted Chavo Guerrero his address and the text explaining where the dogs were. Throughout that day, people from the WWE attempted to contact Chris and even contacted hospitals in the Atlanta area. At about 12.30 p.m. on June 25th, representatives at the WWE called the Fayetteville police to request a welfare check at the Benoit home. We'll be right back. When police arrived, they contacted a neighbor, Holly Shrepfer, and asked her to enter the home because it was known that Chris had Rottweiler guard dogs and the dogs were familiar with her. Authorities said that she was the one who initially found the bodies, but it's not clear who she found and if it was all of them. The WWE canceled the live event that was planned for June 25th and aired a tribute to Chris Benoit in its place. After learning more details of the case, the WWE website removed all past mentions of Chris, including all news articles related to the specific details of the incident, as well as the biography and the video tribute comments from Chris's peers. His results from the WWE history are still there, but otherwise, Chris was gone. After a thorough investigation, it was revealed that Chris had killed his family and then himself over a three-day period. On Friday, June 22nd, Chris bound and strangled 43-year-old Nancy. The following day, Chris gave 7-year-old Daniel Xanax and the medical examiner said he was likely unconscious when he was strangled by his father. Then, Chris went into the basement weight room, wrapped a towel around his neck, then used a cord from one of his weight machines to hang himself. Some reports have said that he used the cord in the machine to break his neck, but the autopsy report states that the cervical vertebrae, hyoid bone, and tracheal and laryngeal cartilages were all without trauma. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, as you know, yesterday afternoon, approximately around 2.30, uh, the Sheriff's Department received a call for a welfare check here at the Benoit residence. Uh, that call came from Mr. Benoit's employers. Uh, apparently he had missed some engagements earlier this weekend um, out of state. They became concerned uh, for his uh, health and well-being. Uh, the deputies arrived on scene. Um, once searching the house, they were able to locate three bodies inside of the home here. Those bodies were Mr. Benoit himself, his wife Nancy, and their son Daniel. Um, all three subjects were deceased. Uh, from an investigation that has taken place since that time yesterday afternoon and continued at the crime lab earlier today where autopsies were performed on all three subjects, uh, we are at now looking at this case and ruling it as a double homicide suicide. Uh, evidence in the home leads us to believe that Mr. Benoit had sometime, uh, possibly Friday, uh, had uh, murdered his wife uh, by asphyxiation. Uh, sometime shortly after that, on into early part of the weekend, uh, the same for his son Daniel, and then maybe later on Saturday evening, sometime early Sunday, had uh, committed suicide uh, by hanging himself in the basement area. Um, that is how we are ruling this case this time. We are still waiting further results from the crime lab, which will include toxicology reports. Uh, that can take up to several weeks to get all of that information back, uh, but right now the doctors from the crime labs have given us those rulings, uh, and that's where we are right now at this time. All three bodies had a Bible laying near them, presumably placed there by Chris. Toxicology reports show the Xanax and Daniel's system and what's considered a therapeutic level of alprazolam and hydrocodone in Nancy's system, 
In Chris, though, they found Xanax, hydrocodone, and a level of testosterone that was ten times higher than that of a normal male. The police reported that they found no suicide note, but, according to Chris's father, Michael, a handwritten note was found inside a Bible. Chris's first wife, Martina, had been shipped a bunch of Chris's personal belongings after his death, and she found the note in a Bible amongst the items. The full contents of the note have not been released, but part of it reads, quote, I'm preparing to leave this earth, end quote. It was discovered that a call was made on June 22nd at 9.52 p.m. from the phone at the Benoit home to 411, and the caller was given the Fayetteville Police Department's non-emergency number. There's no record of the number being dialed from any phone in the house that night. Two calls, one at 9.32 p.m. and one at 9.33 p.m., were placed from the Benoit home to their neighbor, Holly Shrepfield's cell phone, but Holly didn't answer them. It's believed that Nancy was killed shortly after those phone calls. It's speculated that Nancy was calling to get the non-emergency police number because something was wrong with Chris. She had possibly called her neighbor in an attempt to get help or to have somewhere to go or have somewhere to take Daniel while she dealt with Chris. Nobody will ever know for sure. When someone commits a murder-suicide, it's hard to know for sure what the reasoning was behind the murder. Many people want to know why a seemingly nice guy who, by all outward appearances, loved his family, would proceed to kill them and then himself. The first thing that was blamed was steroids. People have posited that Chris killed his family during an episode of Roid Rage. Obviously, the WWE has done everything it can to play down the steroid angle because they received decades of backlash for their lax drug policy throughout their existence. WWE chairman Vince McMahon has tried to claim that they've developed a strict anti-drug policy in the years leading up to the Benoit murders, but if that were true, Chris would not have been able to have the levels of testosterone in his body that he had had at the time of his death. It's been reported that there were massive loopholes in their drug policy that allowed drug use as long as performers had a prescription, and we all know how hard those are to get, especially for rich and famous people. The problem I have with that theory is that people don't usually become violent due to roid rage for two or three days. It's generally a short period of time when the person becomes angry and violent, and then it subsides. It's hard to accept that someone committed murder over the course of 48 hours due to roid rage and then committed suicide. Another theory is that Chris was heavily affected by decades of head injuries. Michael Benoit had given permission for the medical examiner to send Chris's brain to the Sports Legacy Institute for investigative testing. The Sports Legacy Institute was founded by Christopher Nowinski, who was a former wrestler turned advocate for sports head injuries. They conduct research and education regarding chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which is the neurodegenerative disease that is caused by long-term repeated concussions. They found that Chris's brain was so damaged by repeated concussions that it was comparable to an 85-year-old Alzheimer's patient. Symptoms of CTE are difficulty thinking, confusion, memory loss, problems planning or organizing, impulsive behavior, aggression, depression, anxiety, substance abuse, suicidal thoughts or behavior, loss of balance and motor skills, and dementia. A brain can only be tested for CTE after death, so it's not something that can be immediately discovered after someone commits a crime. 
27-year-old Aaron Hernandez of the New England Patriots was convicted of the 2013 murder of Odin Lloyd, but hanged himself in his cell in 2017. His brain showed that he had a severe case of CTE. 50-year-old Dave Dewerson was a championship-winning player with the Chicago Bears who committed suicide by shooting himself in the chest. He specifically chose that manner of death to ensure his brain remained intact. He left a note asking to have his brain given to the NFL Study of Traumatic Encephalopathy Brain Bank. It should come as no surprise that his brain did show that he suffered from CTE. Vince McMahon argued that the Sports Legacy Institute was exaggerating because there was no way an 85-year-old Alzheimer's patient could still be competing in the ring or traveling the country on their own like Chris was. Where that's a valid point, it doesn't change that Chris's brain was damaged to the point that it resembled that, which should still be alarming. I don't think that they were claiming that he should be acting like an 85-year-old Alzheimer's patient, but saying that his brain looked like that as an example of just how much damage it had sustained. It was discovered that Chris had been writing letters to his late friend Eddie Guerrero starting about 10 days after Eddie's death. The diary was discovered in the trash outside the Benoit home. Most of the diary's contents have never been released, but Michael Benoit read some of it in a CNN documentary. Oh, Eddie, I forgot to tell you about my dream last night. I dreamt that both my parents were taken, perished. Mike Benoit believes it's the diary of his son going mad. And Nancy and I were trying to get to her parents in Daytona to save them because we felt that they were being taken next. And these people after them were very powerful people, high-ranking people. When we got to Daytona, it was too late. Her parents were gone too, perished. We just didn't understand this was going on at that time in, in Chris's life. In one entry, Chris wrote to Eddie, quote, I will be with you soon, end quote. There's a conspiracy surrounding the death of the Benoit family due to an odd Wikipedia entry. The entry originally read, quote, Chris Benoit was replaced by Johnny Nitro for the ECW World Championship match at Vengeance, as Benoit was not there due to personal issues, end quote. Then, at 4.01 a.m. Eastern Time on June 25th, 10 hours and 29 minutes before Chris and his family were discovered by police, someone edited the article and added, quote, stemming from the death of his wife Nancy, end quote, to the end of that sentence. The IP address of the computer used was traced to Stamford, Connecticut, which happened to be the location of the WWE headquarters. This set off a fury of rumors and speculation about the real cause of death of the Benoits. Some people believed that the WWE had Chris and his family killed for some reason. Maybe they were trying to quiet some of the heat they were getting for their problem with steroids. Others think that Chris got into trouble some other way outside of the WWE, and that's what got Chris and his family killed. The most popular conspiracy theory is that Kevin Sullivan had the Benoits killed as revenge for Chris stealing Nancy away from him. No matter what someone believes, they all cite this mysterious Wikipedia entry as proof that Chris didn't kill his family and then himself. But he did. After the news of the Wikipedia edit made national headlines, the anonymous poster posted a message online saying that it was all a big coincidence. The message read, quote, Hi everyone, 
I am here to talk about the Wikipedia comment that was left by myself. I just want to say that it was a very incredible coincidence. Last weekend, I had heard about Chris Benoit no-showing vengeance because of a family emergency, and I had heard rumors about why that was. I was reading rumors and speculation about this matter online, and one of them included that his wife may have passed away, and I did the wrong thing by posting it on Wikipedia, despite there being no evidence. I posted my speculation on the situation at the time and I'm deeply sorry about this, and I was just as shocked as everyone when I heard that this actually would happen in real life. It is one of those things that just turned into a huge coincidence. That night, I found out that what I posted ended up actually happening. A 1 in 10,000 chance of happening, or so I thought. I was beyond wrong for posting wrongful information, and I'm sorry to everyone for this. I just want everyone to know it was stupid of me, and I will never do anything like this again. I just posted something that was at the time a piece of wrong, unsourced information that is typical on Wikipedia, as it's done all the time. End quote. Police seized the computer equipment from the poster and found no connection between him and the Benoit family. Wikipedia confirmed that his IP address regularly edited WWE entries as well as vandalizing, which is the act of intentionally editing Wikipedia articles with incorrect information, articles on the African Wild Ass, The Bronx, The Sopranos, Ron Artest, Stacey Keebler, and Naugatuck, Connecticut. He also happened to live in Stamford, Connecticut, either by coincidence or because he was a massive WWE fan and wanted to be close to the headquarters. Unfortunately, the Wikipedia edit was an unconfirmed rumor that someone posted without a source, something that wasn't even that big of a coincidence when you think about it. Chris had missed some house shows and reported that his wife was sick. Then he didn't make it to a major event where the WWE announced that it was because of a family emergency. It seems perfectly reasonable for fans to begin speculating and spreading rumors at that point. Unfortunately, we'll never know exactly what happened in that house between June 22nd and June 24th, and we'll never know why it happened. Sometimes people are taken away and we're never able to find answers to the myriad questions we have. What we do know is that something happened that made Chris Benoit want to remove his wife, his son, and himself from this earth. Whether it was due to steroids, brain injury, depression, or something we'll never know about, he still robbed his wife and his little boy of their lives. Sometimes the subjects of my show turn out to have a mental illness, so the question arises of whether or not they're fully responsible for what they did. I agree that someone who's having a schizophrenic episode doesn't understand what they're doing and they should be found not guilty and receive treatment for their mental illness. They might not be a monster personally, while they're being treated and taking medication, but they're still a monster to their victims. Chris Benoit may have only committed murder due to severe brain injury or depression, but to his wife and son, he was a monster. Morbidology is a weekly true crime podcast hosted by me, Emily G. Thompson, author of Unsolved Child Murders, Unsolved Murders, Cults Uncovered, and Mysteries Uncovered. 911 emergency. My son shot my husband. I need an ambulance. He's bleeding. Each week on Morbidology, I uncover a new true crime case using investigative research combined with source audio. I just snatched it from her. My son took it and it's like, I just hit her with it. 
Morbidology is a victim-focused podcast that mostly covers cases that aren't widely documented in mainstream media. I also like to take an in-depth look at any systemic failures which had a part to play in the crime. Do you know why you're here? For a uh, home invasion gone terribly wrong. Listen to Morbidology across all podcast platforms. If you're the victim of domestic abuse, please reach out to someone for help. Please talk to your local battered women's shelter or call the National Domestic Abuse Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. Or you can go to thehotline.org to chat with someone online. The great thing about this website is that, at any time, hitting the escape key twice will take you to a Google search page. That way, if your abuser is nearby, you won't get caught looking for help. If you're having feelings of harming yourself or someone else, or even just need someone to talk to, please contact your local mental health facility, call 911, or call Mental Health America, who operate the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. They're available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and will talk to you about any mental health issue you might be facing. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. You can subscribe or follow the show to ensure you don't miss an episode, and you can leave us a rating on whatever podcast app you use. If you'd like to support the show, you can do that by checking out our merchandise at Teespring. You can also discuss the channel and the episodes on our subreddit, r forward slash thisismonsters. You can find more ways to support our show and how to find us on social media by visiting thisismonsters.com. Thanks again, and be safe. Life's full of things we can't depend on, like the Irish weather, predictably unpredictable. When you're cutting it fine, but the tractor in front is out for the day. No winner of this week's you-know-what. So much for lucky seven. But some things you can depend on. Like in home heating. Emo, Jones Oil and Campus Oil are now Certa, Delivering the same warmth to your home now and into the future. For home heating you can depend on, see CertaIreland.ie. This Christmas, feel joy, gift joy and send them joy with the perfect gift at Arnott's. Explore an endless array of gifting that will bring joy to everyone on your list. Shop Irish at the Christmas market, support emerging new businesses with Pitch 22 or find something extra special from one of our world-class brands. Shop in-store and online at arnott's.ie. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.